A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 213 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the Polar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman, and with me, like the Imperial plans for one orbital battle station attached to my belt loop, the EU guru himself, the count of our two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Hey everybody, I suppose that means that much like uh, the people on Cops, I've been caught on tape. Yes? <laughs> yes, because they are data tapes? Eh, eh, yeah, whatever. Before we begin, I should probably thank Rogue One. Thank you, Rogue One. The next time that we ask, hey, when does this novel or comic take place, and we're simply told, uh, it's between A New Hope and Empire, we will now be able to quote Star Wars back at them. I find that answer vague and unconvincing. Thank you, Rogue One. (laughs) Oh... That's good. That's good. Speaking of thank yous, I would like to once again stop the show for a moment and thank our new editor, Michael Yankovic. You uh, have kept this show going, and we appreciate that. And all you listeners out there, please just help us give him a round of applause. That's not us spending five minutes in the bathroom. We're actually giving him a round of applause. I don't know. You may have to delete that. (laughs) (laughs) It took me a second. I'm like, what is it funny? Oh, for sake. Ah, yes, and, and in order to uh, to fully, fully appreciate Michael's job, understand that we have a hard time controlling our mouths. Yes, our sophomore and humor And it still runs comes rampant. out safe, for the most part. <laughs> Although I did really, I, I was listening to our most recent episode just to kind of refresh my memory on uh, on what all we said, and we got to the point where you were like, that's just a funny, and just like, out of nowhere, just start swearing like multiple <laughs> times in a row, so, you know. At least when we do it, we do it with gusto, so it's easy for him to spot, I I suppose. Um, <laughs> probably not a lot of swearing this time, though, because we're dealing with a topic that, for the most part, seems to be relatively tame, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so what are we doing? Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or those simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we take a look back over the previous year of Star Wars on the big and small screens. This is your Beyond the Films 2016 year in review. That's right, you know how we do it. This episode, we're going to be focusing on the films, television, and the um, other stuff that came out in 2016. That said, consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sengents of all ages, because here we go on another adventure, Beyond the Films. 
Yes, and this is this is actually one I've been really looking forward to. It doesn't feel like there's as much stuff to cover as in the other ones, although we might be more excited about covering some of the stuff in here, <coughs> Rogue One. Um, but this is like my wheelhouse now. I mean, yeah. I spent so many years collecting the Star Wars books and comics and whatnot to get to the point where I've got pretty much everything on my list, minus, I guess, the Marvel pizzazz stuff. I even found a friggin' copy of Contemporary Motivators on eBay the other day, which is this comic from like the 70s that I never thought I'd get my hands on. I don't have a scan of it. It's now coming in the mailbox. But uh, nice. But ever since, I guess, about three years ago, I really ramped up this whole I'm going to turn this kind of weird set of home video releases that I've got into an actual collection. And in the process of doing that, I started up from the Star Wars home video library over on YouTube and just kind of grown and grown and grown since then. I mean, weekly just about, I've got stuff coming in the mail. Like I just got the actual lenticular original cover of the Toys R Us version of Phantom Menace and an original VHS of Classic Creatures Return of the Jedi just showed up in my mailbox. It's I've got a guy who is about to send out making of Star Wars Classic Creatures and SPFX, I believe they are, as the actual film reels because he just wants to donate it to the show so it can be highlighted as part of this collection. It's Wow, that's Home cool. video has become just this huge part of my Star Wars collecting that it was never really meant to be as of a few years ago, but that makes this certainly um, a fun one to get into for me. Well, and we live in an era now, I mean, like, uh, on the Star Wars Report, you know, I've always been the books and comics guy, and Riley's been the film first guy, and I'm finding myself kind of having a shift in what I genuinely delve into the most i mean you know books and comics were always my thing and now i'm finding it's taking me longer to get through the books i'm not reading as many of the star wars marvel comics as i am the say marvel heroes type marvel comics uh but i'm watching what's going on with the films and stuff on a level that i never did with the prequel trilogy granted i also came into the realm of the internet towards the end of all of the trilogy the prequel trilogy action you know when they were doing all the specials and the sneak peeks the behind the scenes stuff and that they were doing like every day they'd have something like that i missed that for the most part so like it's kind of like getting to that for the first time for me so it's interesting to have that shift you know here beyond the films i mean our fandom really truly does lie beyond the films but we love them films too um Speaking of films, I guess the first topic in this case is actually something that, in a sense, is a carryover from last year. Of course, The Force Awakens didn't hit theaters until December of last year, which means, or at least as of the time we're recording this last year, December of 2015, this episode probably won't hit until right after the new year, I wouldn't think. But in the past, there was this pattern, right? Uh, a New Hope was released five years after being in theaters, finally on home video. And then for Empire, it was four years after theatrical release. And then for Jedi, it was three years. And then even for Phantom Menace, it took one year until finally you get to, you know, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, and even the Clone Wars film being released on home video in the same year, the same calendar year in which they were in theaters. But of course, now that we're getting December releases, it's now going to be kind of split. The one year will have the film in theaters. The next year will be the one with the home video releases. So this year, we got not one, but two, unless you want to count the variants, releases of The Force Awakens on home video. This April, we got a regular edition, which in the United States, at least, was a... Uh, there was a few different ways you could get it. You could get a regular version, the black case or a black slip cover, I guess you'd call it. Inside was a Blu-ray case that itself was black. It's a Blu-ray, DVD, digital HD, 
combo pack, which meant you had a regular Blu-ray for the film, you had a Blu-ray for the bonus features, plus then you had a DVD copy, and then you had your digital code. Um, you could get that, you could get one that had also a little connections disc, as it's called, a little game piece thing, not any other kind of disc, not a watchable disc. Inside it was special BB-8 slipcase stuff on the outside, which was an exclusive to Walmart. You could get a steelbook version exclusive to Best Buy. If you went to Target, you could get a version that had kind of this weird cardboard fold-out packaging, but also had some exclusive digital content that you could get. A lot of different ways you could get it. You could just get the plain DVD, but then also you had things like, well, order from Disney... Uh, the Disney store itself, and hey, you're going to get these lithographs. Or hey, if you want to pre-order the digital copy, do it with one of these packs you can get in a store instead of just going online and doing it, and you'll get these little mini posters. We had those kind of things. And then, of course, on top of it all, you get into November for the U.S., October for some other parts of the world, and we get another release of Force Awakens, which they did warn about us to some degree to begin with, which wound up including all the stuff from that one, plus a handful of things that were digital exclusives previously, now on disc, plus a handful more items to be added that were actually new special features, plus a commentary, plus getting the film in 3D on 3D Blu-ray, the so-called The Force Awakens 3D Collector's Edition. So two rounds of releases, that latter release only really had one variant, and that was that if you bought it at Walmart, it, you can get one that has like a little lithograph in it. But a whole lot of different releases flooding in for The Force Awakens, and you just kind of picked whichever fit your fancy, though certainly having the 3D Blu-ray release and re-releasing all of the previous content on that release in November which rendered the April copies kind of meaningless, um, rankled a lot of people. Though I would, I'll, I'll present an argument as to why that shouldn't rankle quite as much. Yeah, that was one, like, I'm on the fence because I got the Target one. And I actually, I think now I'm, I'm leaning towards I may go out and get the 3D copy just because it's got extra stuff that I want. But I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the stuff from the Target edition that you have to go online to to see and listen to, it's actually on the disc in the 3D Collector's Edition, if if I'm right. Mm-hmm. And that I think is appealing. Because I, I I honestly I didn't I, I got the Target one and I didn't I didn't watch the stuff. It was too complicated. I was like, forget this. I want to pop in my disc and see it. I don't want to have to go to a website, register this, register that. It was so too many hoops. I was irritated by the fact that I had to go through that many hoops to watch it, and I just said, forget it. And I, so I bought that copy for that content, and I didn't even look at the content because of the hoops that went along with it. So seeing it in that form, I was like, well, I mean, that's that's what I should have went with. I should have held off and just gone and waited until that one came out. Granted, I've got 3D players. I don't have a 3D TV or the glasses yet, but I'm really a lot closer than I ever thought I would be to, to being able to enjoy that. And like with what's going on right now with Rogue One, I'm currently watching that in 3D more than I am even the 2D just for the fact that where I work at the theater, I'm able to get in for free as long as the movies aren't full and 3D tends to be the one that most people don't want to watch. I watched 3D last night with my wife and even she was like, God, I really hate 3D. I'm, I'll, I'll tolerate it, but... And I, I mean, I get where she's coming from because I would, I honestly prefer 2D too. And it's, you know, they don't always use the 3D effects as well as it should be. I mean, like when I think of 3D and really good, I think like Avatar, you know, like that, that had some really popping effects. Uh, the Force Awakens had a few, 
But I want to say there was like two or three. And Rogue One, I haven't noticed any really. I mean, like I've watched it three times, all in 3D, and it, nothing's really felt like it was hanging above my face. So like that, that gimmickness of 3D, it's like, uh, but it does seem like for a degree, a lot of movies are kind of shifting that direction. They're at least offering it up. So there are some aspects of the film that are filmed for 3D. So it does seem like, you know, this might be a smart move to branch into. I mean, I know, Nate, you've invested into it a long time ago, and it seems like that's paid off for you in the long run. I mean, now here we've got the VR stuff, and you're kind of sitting at the forefront of the 3D technology, all because you made that investment years back. It seems like a smart move. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that it's never going to be, I don't think, the mainstream to watch something in 3D. But if you have the option to do it, and you can do it in a cost-effective way, it's another cool way to be able to watch stuff. And I actually prefer watching 3D content at home on a smaller screen than on the big screen, because it seems like on the big screen it's easier for me to miss things and have a hard time kind of focusing because I'm not necessarily looking at the whole screen in at once. I'm focusing on parts of it that's kind of mm-hmm. throwing me off, whereas when it's on a smaller screen you can take it all in at the same time. For what it's worth, 3D for The Force Awakens is interesting because it's not so much that a lot of things sort of stick out except for the finalizer in a particular shot. Most of the time what's happening in The Force Awakens is they've added depth going inward. It's almost like you're looking into a diorama or looking out a window. It's not necessarily sticking in at you, but like especially during the final fight scene, I mean, you can really feel the depth of the layers of trees going back and where they are in relation to it and the snow coming down both between them, behind them, and in front of them, um, which makes us some pretty good stuff. I did notice that it seemed like the, the 3D version of Rogue One in theaters really seemed like you could even tell a difference, to me at least, um, but I watch this kind of stuff all the time. Um, you could you could tell a difference in like the parts of someone's face. If it's really close up, you could tell a dimensional difference, a distance difference between the nose, the cheeks, the other side of their face, which was impressive. Uh, I'm not sure off the top of my head if Rogue One actually was natively filmed in 3D or if they did a conversion after. It was a conversion after the fact, apparently, for uh, The Force Awakens. As for the home video release, though, the Blu-ray 3D, very solid. Uh, the new release in November gave us the audio commentary. The new release took the couple of different things that were from that Target pack you mentioned that were digital and did put them on the disc. They did the same thing with one iTunes exclusive behind-the-scenes video and one Disney Movies Anywhere exclusive deleted scene and then added some more stuff on top of that. But it's interesting because this is really the first time in my memory in Star Wars where they've they've kept the old stuff. Usually it's, you know... Here's a new copy of the film. We're going to get rid of the old bonus features, and now you're going to get new bonus features. But to have all of it, you've got to buy both. Or it's like 2004-2005 classic trilogy DVDs. Here's a set that has bonus features. Here's a set that just strips them away and doesn't replace them with anything. But to have them say, you know, here's the film and its bonus features in April. Now here's the exact same stuff with more without removing anything in November... That is both huge and hugely frustrating to some because it means that the ones bought in April are basically redundant now. So if you had waited, you could have bought it once and had everything. Uh, But at the same time, you know, depending on how much you care about the bonus features and whether you care about getting a 3D Blu-ray, you know, this may not be something the November one to even bother to buy. Uh, What frustrates people, but they announced it at the time, was the fact that most films, when they're first released on home video, particularly like the Marvel films, for instance, from Mm -hmm. Disney... It'll be a Blu-ray DVD, uh, Blu-ray 3D combo pack with a digital copy, or it'll be 
Blu-ray 3D, Blu-ray digital code without a DVD copy combo pack initially, or you can just buy the Blu-ray. But it's day and date. It's the exact same day that everything else comes out. Yeah. And this time, they pushed out the April version uh, in the U.S. They announced that there would be a 3D version later in the year. We were hoping it would be alongside the prequels, but that didn't happen. Yep. So, yes, we knew it was coming, but we didn't realize they were going to repackage all the bonus content again, that we'd be essentially buying something over again that we've already bought before. Granted, I've got tons of copies because I'm just a completist that way. <laughs> so on the one hand, it's great that we're that you could actually own one copy and have all the bonus features, but the fact that that's the second release that came out does mean that for a lot of people, that first purchase is going to be uh, kind of a blight and a frustration to them when they look towards maybe buying this one. But if you haven't picked it up yet, or if you have a 3D Blu-ray player, which an Xbox One PlayStation 3 or PlayStation 4 can also act as, and a 3D TV, um, it is a fantastic way to watch the film. That is probably, given the choice, if I'm going to be watching it in my Star Wars office, I can't imagine not watching it 3D, because that's where that TV is. You can still sometimes find those PlayStation-branded 3D displays on sale, uh, where places still have inventory for them, but I think the price has gone closer up to its original retail price. When I bought mine, it was like 200 bucks, so it was a no-brainer. I think now it's closer to about 400 again, um, 300 to 400. So uh, <laughs> your mileage will vary, but it's it's a nice way to do it. See, and and you know, I get the frustration of well, I just bought it, and now it's coming back out. I mean, I think of uh, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. You know, we had the what was it? The we had the extended edition, then the special edition, or the special edition, and then the extended edition, whatever it was. And I've kind of felt, you know, like I was in that same gypped boat. But then what I ended up doing was I bought the one I wanted for myself, and I already had the first one, so I gave the first one to my dad. And I think that's what I'll do here. If I end up getting the 3D version, I'll just give my dad the old one. Because for me, I think that the JJ commentary that's added to this, that alone is almost priceless. That's got the the bread and butter that I'm craving. I mean, it's the details that I'm most curious about, that insight that you're only going to get from him and the people that were in the creative process behind the scenes. And then the aspect of, you know, adding to what we got on the other discs, I honestly think that should be the name of the game, especially in the realm of Blu-ray. I mean, I think back to back when I was in DVDs hardcore and Blu-ray was this new thing on the horizon that they were trying to convince you, you know, you need to be buying Blu-ray and not DVDs. And it was the whole aspect of like, you can add so much stuff on here. It's almost unlimited space on this Blu-ray disc. We can add this in feature thing. You could be doing feature in feature while you're watching the film. You could be talking with the cast and crew while you're doing this while watching the film. And then you get all these movies and stuff, and it's like they weren't doing anything extra with the the Blu-ray's capabilities. They weren't utilizing all the space on the discs. They were using it exactly like they were the DVDs, giving you some mediocre content at best. You'd have every rare, rarely you would get a DVD or a Blu-ray that would really crank up the extras. So to have them add the old stuff and then add something new, I think that's I think that's what they should be doing with Blu-ray. Every time you're going to add something to it. I, I'm not really a fan of having five different discs where there's something here and something there and something there. I'd rather have one that has everything that came before and something new added to it each time. Uh, and, I, and I think I'm that way when it comes to like the new and expanded this and that books. You know, it's like add to the stuff or give me something completely new. You know, just don't rearrange. I don't know. It's one of those things I think about all the time because you're constantly 
have so much different stuff you can give us as bonus content. You know, it's like, where do you draw the line? Do you just only give this and that one? Do you only give this over there? I, I'm an all, I'm an all or nothing guy. Like I want, I want to have everything I had before plus the new stuff. Yeah. They don't necessarily take advantage of it all the time. I know that for instance, the daredevil Blu-ray release that took forever to even come out at all daredevil season one. It's like no bonus features at all or hardly any. I forget which, but it's it's very paltry. They could do a whole lot more with it. I would love to see a Star Wars film done in the way that you could do on camera. This director's cut or ultimate ultimate cut. I think it was called the director's cut version of Watchmen on Blu-ray, because what that has, it's got a regular mode, but then it's got another where every once in a while the film will pause, pull back and the director will walk in on the screen and be talking to you and showing you all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. And then he'll step back. The screen will grow again and unpause and the movie continues. That's cool. So you get that kind of commentary, but you get it in a more kind of personal touch. I am hopeful though. I have one reason to hope that when it comes time for Rogue One to be released on home video, we won't see another of this sort of double-dipping thing where it's, here's the Blu-ray and DVD, now months later, here's Blu-ray 3D, and we're reselling stuff to you again. Um, The reason I am hopeful is that Zavi, which is the company in the UK that had the uh, exclusive Steelbook version over there for the Blu-ray release, they didn't do a Blu-ray, DVD, digital combo pack, it was just Uh Blu-ray, or just DVD, but the uh, the Steelbook over there was exclusive to Zavi, and they've also recently released the so-called Big Sleeve Edition, uh, which is this giant LP-sized release of the Blu-ray. I would have one in my hand if the first time they tried to send it to me, the package didn't show up effing empty. But that's a whole other thing. Oh, that was but terrible. But Zavi ha- already has a pre-order page up for an exclusive, I think it's a Steelbook version, of Rogue One for when that's finally released, and it's... They are promoting it as having the 2D and 3D versions in that exclusive. So unless they're either wrong about the content of their exclusive, or that winds up being an exclusive that comes out way after the film is already out on home video, that would seem to suggest to me that 3D and 2D are going to be released at the same time this time, like with the vast majority of other films that get a 3D Blu-ray release. Again, it's a niche kind of thing. Not everybody's going to care about the 3D Blu-ray, but for those of us who do... It's nice when it's day and date so that we don't wind up repurchasing Mm -hmm. something. Amen to that, my man. That brings us around to TV in this case. And we've got three different TV series to delve into at least a little bit. The one that was sort of hanging over us that a lot of times gets forgotten is Droid Tales, Lego Star Wars Droid Tales. They aired back in 2015. It was five episodes, Exit from Endor, Crisis on Coruscant, Mission to Mos Eisley, Flight of the Falcon, and Gambit on Geonosis. But that got a home video release on DVD this year, uh, collecting all five episodes and a little tiny set of cards in there with it. So do need to hit the fact that Droid Tales did get a DVD release this year and... I actually found that that was a pretty funny series. It's not laugh out loud funny a lot, and it does a lot of retelling of the films, but that's where it gets funny because it's retelling the films from kind of a droid, goofy point of view. Now, was this a Legos type thing, or was this something different? Yes, I'm sorry, yes, this is Lego Star Wars Droid Tales. Okay, so now this also isn't the same as the Yoda Chronicles. This is a separate... Right, it was... Because there were were a couple of those at the same time where I was was confused that they were going on, and the Yoda ones I thought were already passed, and they were still putting some of those out, and then these droid ones were out. I got really confused. I didn't know which ones were which. Yeah, there's... (laughs) There's Empire, or excuse me, there's uh, Padawan Menace, which was meant to be a standalone. Then they did a sequel to that. 
called because it was successful called The Empire Strikes Out. Then they started still on Cartoon Network with Lego Star Wars: uh, The Yoda Chronicles, okay. which had several episodes, followed by. The new Yoda Chronicles on Disney XD. Lego, Ah. this is one of my pet peeves with this. Uh, Lego Star Wars The Yoda Chronicles got a DVD release of the first two episodes out of three. And then New Yoda (laughs) Chronicles eventually got all of it released. But they're meant to be one continuous story between regular Yoda Chronicles and New Yoda Chronicles. And the middle episode has never been released on physical home media. If you don't get it from iTunes or something, you're just screwed. Why? Um, Why would they do that? That's... That is the stupidest. Stupid. You're so stupid. Oh, load a shotgun. <laughs> yeah, but thankfully, the Droid Tale stuff can be watched by itself. It doesn't have a lot of connection, though there are some to the Yoda Chronicle stuff. All the Lego Star Wars stuff on the television cartoons, at least, as opposed to the cartoony video games they have, do tend to connect to one another to some degree, one way or the other. But Droid Tales can be just enjoyed just sort of for what it is. Um, to start, it's like they're they're on indoor. They're in the in, the celebration at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi, and Admiral Akbar's uh, special little starfighter gets stolen. Yeah. And in the process of trying to get their hands back on it, there's all these misadventures. And during the misadventures, they're retelling. You know, this is a lot like and retelling certain aspects of the films from the droids' point of view. It's only a five episode series. Uh, it was all aired back in 2015, but. Having them in one place I thought was cool. The only thing that I didn't like about this DVD release was that basically he had a little packet of cards, and I believe each packet had three cards in it. And it was a, collect all nine. (laughs) So if you actually wanted all the different cards, you had to blindly buy a whole bunch of copies of Droid (laughs) Tales and pray that they had the little packet of the three cards, of three of the cards that you needed. The only positive is that each time it was the same three. It was like the first three, second three, or last three. They weren't just mixed up. But you'd never know what you were going to get unless you just bought another copy and screw that <laughs> you ever you ever feel like like you're uh the the negasonic kid <laughs> deadpool is lucasfilm <laughs> you're just like you got me against the wall here you keep putting out new movies damn it you know i'm gonna buy them we just we just put it all in one <laughs> uh, i just i don't know like and that's that's a good reason why from the star wars home video library exists so that when they do something like this i could be like what do you and have an outlet so my head doesn't explode. (laughs) Uh, Needless to say, I only bought one copy of Droid Tales. Uh, Speaking of Lego Star Wars, though, we did have another one, and this is kind of a major one this year, and that is Lego Star Wars The Freemaker Adventures. This is a brand new, well, relatively new, ongoing series based around this set of four characters, basically. uh, Xander, Cordy, and little Rowan Freemaker, who have the uh, Freemaker, basically a salvage and repair yard, who are accompanied by their droid Roger, as in Roger Roger, which is a battle droid from the Clone Wars, who wind up getting wrapped up in this plot to uh, essentially rebuild the Kyber Saber crystal, or the Kyber Saber, uh, through these Kyber Saber crystals that they find that can allow like ultimate power in the universe and whatnot. And it winds up connecting back to Jek. Uh, one of the characters from Yoda Chronicles. Uh, this year, we got a total of 13 episodes of that. A hero discovered the mines of Grabala, like Grabala the Hut, as in Grabala it. Uh, Xander's Joyride, the lost treasure of Cloud City, Peril on Kashyyyk, Crossing Paths, Race on Tatooine, The Test, The Kyber, Saber, Crystal Chase, The Maker of Zoe, Showdown on a Hoth, Duel of Destiny, and Return of the Kyber Saber. And then that as season one got a release on DVD and Blu-ray. 
not with a minifigure packed in or some cards packed in, but a set of six magnets. They're kind of crappy, uh, packed into each one. And uh, this time there is no difference between Blu-ray and DVD content as far as the uh, uh, making of type stuff goes, the featurettes go. There is no distinction between the two. And thankfully there is a Blu-ray release of this because really since Padawan Menace, none of the Lego Star Wars stuff has gotten Blu-ray releases. It's been DVD only. Weird. Now we got a Blu-ray release we could buy or a DVD release we could buy, unlike a combo pack like Padawan Menace was, but at least it's out on Blu-ray. It's a, I found it's a fun series. It's goofy at times, but it's got a serious ongoing story. It's humorous along the way. Uh, my wife and I really liked it. See, the humor, I'm, I'm hit or miss, and I think the issue with me on the miss part is the aspect of it being Lego. You know, I just, I have a hard time taking anything set in a Lego universe seriously and they seem to be blending the realm of canon and non-canon in a way that's a l- I find it a little more dangerous than say fantasy flight games where they're they're just after an authentic gaming experience you know like like there's some things about this that I'm like you know yeah it's just for fun and I can I can accept it if it was just for fun but then when you have scenes like you know in some of the games where it adds to you know how did how did Admiral Akbar get here or how did you know 3PO's arm this or that and it's adding actual stuff that we don't get anywhere else but in this one Lego game and that's the that's where I start to have more issues with the tongue and cheekness because it's like are we going to take it serious or are we just going to you know not take it serious and I don't know. I, I have a hard time with that because, like, while it doesn't take itself seriously, it does take the universe it's in serious, and I can appreciate that, but it conflicts me, you know? So yeah. I have a hard time because I don't like the, the aspects of, ooh, Emperor Likey, you know? And <laughs> you I mean, always, that is your example every time. Like, ah, Emperor Likey, it drives me. It, well, like because after that, I was, I, I was like, I can't, I can't continue with this. That was, it was really hard for me to follow <laughs> past that. I've only watched about two or three episodes, and after that, I just catch bits and pieces of it. But, then you get the Kyber Saber plot. And, you know, we're, we're really pushing Kyber crystals now. It's everywhere. You know, it's the big thing. It's not mm-hmm. just in lightsabers. It's now Death Star crystals. And now to have a Kyber Saber that's made entirely out of Kyber crystals, it's like, oh, wow, okay, that's, that's an odd concept. Like, you know, we take a crystal and we make the saber by projecting the energy through it. But this one is, is a blade of the crystals and it makes it super more powerful. Like, that's almost, that Kyber Saber seems like a plot that I would almost hope that they don't bring in to canon, which I'm kind of happy that when they had a moment in Rogue One where they're like, Black Saber, that they didn't say Kyber Saber. I'm like, oh, it's in. But I don't know. I'm 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 back and forth with that because I like the concept of the Freemakers, and I I would like to see a Freemaker family that is canon, but not representing the Legos. Like I don't want to have the feeling like everything I'm seeing in the Lego shows is happening in canon because sometimes it's just so off the wall, tongue in cheek mm-hmm. that I just can't take it serious. And I take my Star Wars serious. <laughs> I think that with the TV shows, at least they've done a really good job of making sure that it's obvious that this is not meant to fit. I'm really happy, for instance, that they brought Jack in from Yoda Chronicles into Freemaker Adventures because it makes it clear, oh, okay, this is that continuity. Uh, it's not meant to be part of canon. But yeah, they blurred the lines when it came to the the Force Awakens Lego game. Mm-hmm. So it seems like the video games are taking more risks with that, whereas the shows at least are tending to be much more you know, clear-cut on whether this is meant to fit or not. I agree, it'd be cool to see that family, the Freemakers, somehow in the canonical Star Wars universe at some point, but 
certainly not bringing over everything with it. Uh, I will say also, if you're curious about that series, I mentioned this on the From the Star Wars Home Video Library episode that I did on this, but the bonus features are pretty paltry. There's only two. They're relatively short. One is a commercial for the salvage yard, like an in-universe commercial, <laughs> and the other is a quick little thing to hear each of the voice actors talking about their characters, and the most surprising things to me were that Matthew Wood really is back to do the droid voices, which I kind of expected, mm. but it was good to see him back. Uh, but the surprises being the fact that Rowan, who is a kid, is actually playing by a kid and Xander the brother is actually played by uh it's the guy who played Diggle's younger brother in the Damien Dark arc of the Arrowverse stuff so yes if they sound like the 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 two siblings of Rowan the older siblings uh are of different racial persuasions so to speak in their voices yeah it's because so are the voice actors it's the guy that played Diggle's brother which is kind of cool. Yeah, the humor is on point. I will give it that, especially the humor between the family. Uh, I, I that has been working. I find, I find honestly, the issues I have is with most of the dark side characters. It's like if you're dealing with anything on the dark side and you're dealing with kids, you have to lighten it up. And I feel like they really push that envelope to the point of ridiculously. It's like all the dark side characters seem to just have this ridiculous aspect to them. You know, the the, the Sith mm-hmm. chick with her tattoos morphing and changing. I'm like, ah, I have a hard time with stuff like that. I'm like, it just takes me right out of it. But at least the Freemakers themselves... That part of the show, it, it, I don't know, like, they're trying so hard to appeal to the kids that they're getting that part right, but it's the dark side. They're trying to tone it down so much that it just makes it too tongue-in-cheek for me. Yeah, it's like you got guys that are like the opposite of Krennic in Rogue One, where it's not all about the career, it's the opposite. See, I just want to live. Because <laughs> right, you got the guys that are constantly wanting to be posted to these terrible, terrible places, um, because the places are boring, so there's, they're not likely to wind up facing off with the rebels and getting killed. <laughs> um, it's a decent series. I'm interested to see where they go with, with a second season. And thank goodness they actually went back to Blu-ray for this because that's been a real glaring oversight in basically all the Lego Star Wars releases except for that first one and now this most recent one. Um, speaking of cartoons on Disney XD, we of course had Rebels continuing this year. We had the back chunk of of season two, we had the first chunk of season three, and in between, we had a home video release for it as well. So, in 2016, we got from season two a princess on Lothal, which actually jumped us to the next year in the storytelling, right? Uh, to I believe it was three BBY, and then we have the protector of Concord Dawn, the Legends of the Lasat, the Call. Homecoming, The Honorable Ones, Shroud of Darkness, The Forgotten Droid, The Mystery of Chopper Base, and then the two-part Twilight of The Apprentice. And then so far from Season 3, we've gotten Steps into Shadow, The Holocrons of Fate, The Antilles Extraction, Hera's Heroes, The Last Battle, Imperial Super Commandos, Iron Squadron, The Winkathu Job, The Inside, or excuse me, An Inside Man, and Visions and Voices. I'm getting about nine episodes, ten episodes or so in the in the fall and the in the winter, and then when they come back, we get the the rest of that season. And then, of course, there were also Blu-ray and DVD releases of the complete season two. In this case, a few bonus features, decent enough. It also includes Rebels Recon on both. But I would point out that the one bonus feature that most people were probably interested in hearing the cast and crew talk about which is about the confrontation between Vader and Ahsoka at the end of Season 2, is a Blu-ray exclusive bonus feature that is not found on the DVD 
complete season two, which uh-huh. sucks for people trying to watch it on DVD. I'm still enjoying Rebels. I think they're doing some really cool stuff. I like where they're going with it. I like where we're going after we get back in January, though that would be going into spoiler territory. I'm eager to see how far they go with this. I mean, given that they keep jumping in time from one year to the next at times, it seems to me that they've only got maybe one more season, possibly two, before they're crossing into Rogue One in a New Hope territory, and we're, we would probably see them launch a new series instead of continuing Rebels, if Clone Wars is any indication. Yeah, you definitely know you're getting close to Rogue One the second that Syndulla becomes a general. (laughs) You know, I feel like Rebels has been building something great. You know, season three, it's had some slower episodes. But again, I feel like all of those episodes are build-up episodes for something that's going to come later. You know, a lot of people have felt like, well, it's, it's gotten off track and I don't necessarily feel that way. I mean, some people complain that Sabine's not getting the right buildup, but I, again, I think it's a subtle buildup. I think we're going to have next season, if not at the end of this season, I think we're going to have some big episodes with a lot of the characters that we haven't seen focused on as much in the first two seasons, especially Sabine. I think that the episodes with her on Mandalore and stuff are building up, giving us little bits of things we need to know. And I think we're going to have a big payoff as we get closer to the end, if not into season four. Uh, You know, one thing Dave Filoni has, has proven for me is that he is good at taking seeds of things and building a bigger story with them. Uh, you know, and I love the fact that he's always been an EU fan and he's taken elements and worked them into things and built from there. So, you know, I'm excited about where we could go with Sabine's character, especially plus Hera. You know, I, I just mentioned the, uh, the General Syndulla thing. It was a little Easter egg in Rogue One, but that had me so excited. Like all the little rebels Easter eggs in Rogue One had me just above and beyond doing backflips for what could be possibly coming with Rebel Season 4. Um, you know, we still haven't been told how many seasons of Rebels we're going to get. And on one hand, I'm kind of disappointed on that. I'd, I'd almost like to know, like, hey, we have a plan. We're going to do five, six, three, however many seasons. But but be told that. So, you know, as you're getting closer to what you think is the end, you know you're ramping up towards something major. Uh, you know, because you and I, we live in this in this era where shows like Firefly get canceled after the first season. And they were planning on all these great things that just never get accomplished. And I would hate for something like that to happen to Star Wars, like what we saw with the Clone Wars, with it getting canceled season five and only season season, season six in uh, Netflix. I mean, you know, I want to see all my Star Wars shows reach their conclusion, reach their full potential in a planned matter, not, oh, well, this was forced on us and this is a scrambling to make do, you know, and and I feel like right now with Rebels and with everything going on with, with Star Wars, with being under Disney's umbrella, I think they're in a position where they can do something like that, but it'd be nice to have them announce like, hey, you know, we have an end date, we've got, you know, we've got a plan here. I mean, in some aspects, it feels like they're keeping a lot of this stuff close to the chest, and I get it, like, that's a Disney playbook, you know, they don't like to spoil too much stuff, but... You know, we're in we're in an era of Lucasfilm. You know, we we come from them giving us all this information way in advance and and having glimpses into things that are coming and kind of building up our own speculation and stuff. So it's it's kind of an interesting play on Disney's part because you know you've got us fans used to getting that information and then you've got Disney fans that are used to them holding out on us. And I don't know, man. I go back and forth. I do though feel like Rebels is building to something great. Uh, you know, I still haven't seen the the last episode uh, with Maul and the old master and all that. Something happened with my DVR and it didn't get recorded. And then I've been busy watching Rogue One since. But I, I've I've heard good things about that episode and I can't wait to get back to it because 
I think right now with Rebels, that's what's really hitting is the Jedi aspect with Maul, uh, with Ezra and Kanan. You know, every time they get to those stories right now, those tend to be the ones that across the board, all the fans are really excited about. I think that this year especially has moved things along quite a bit for Rebels. I mean, we've got the introduction of Maul into that storyline, his return uh, again, which is, of course, setting up things to come, uh, particularly with Visions and Voices, and then heading out of that with some of the things revealed in that episode. And really, in essence, you could sort of say that there was sort of a reset to a lot of things, or at least a game change that happened as we got to the end of Season 2, because Ahsoka leaves the board for a while. Uh, whether she ever comes back again, there's that question of, is she alive, is she dead, and all that kind of stuff. Um, it puts Maul into play, and then you've also got, of course, the the guilt being carried by Ezra, the blinding of Kanan, and so on and so on and so on. And now the Rebels have kind of a stable base at this point, so now we can see more. We see the introduction of Bindu and all that, and we find that finally there's some payoff with Agent Callus from the Honorable Ones, that he is starting to see the Empire for what it is, and winds up being one of the other fulcrums out there, uh, including... I want to say, was it Cassian Andor? There's somebody from Rogue One who the uh, visual guide notes was also a fulcrum somewhere, but I forget who I'm, it is. I'm betting it's got to be Cassian because I was thinking the same thing. He was in the intelligence units. Uh, you know, the general that was telling him to, you know, go after Galen. Draven, yeah. Yeah, that was that was all the don't, intelligence side. Don't spoil side. anything yet! Don't spoil anything yet! But yeah, so... Basically, uh, Rebels feels like it's really building, and I guess it's just a question of, you know, when are they going to end it? It'd be better, though, for them, I think, to have a planned ending that they know where they're going, they know where they want to end up, they know how they're going to build into the films, rather than it being like Clone Wars, where they were like, well, an ending can come eventually, we kind of know what it's going to be, oh crap, we're done. Yeah. Oh crap, we're canceled. Um, there needs to be a game plan, as you always refer to it uh, when it comes to Dark Horse, an exit strategy, so to <laughs> yes. speak. And I'm, and I'm even okay with, with they plan Rebels to end and then continue telling the Ghost Crew story, even in another TV show, another comic, in a movie. I mean, I'm okay with them not being done with the Rebels story, but I think at some point they need to be done with this chapter and then move to another chapter if they're going to continue telling tales about that crew. True that. Which brings us to, of course, the big one, which, of course, this December is Rogue One. Uh, we started recording our year-in-review episodes and made sure that the timing of needing to record this one would be after the film itself came out, so we had a chance to see it and talk about it. We're going to talk about that a lot more in-depth next time, and we'll then, after that, be hitting Catalyst. So we don't want to go too in-depth with our thoughts at this point. We want to at least give you a sense of sort of where it fits in the, the quality of the year that we had in Star Wars. So we'll start with non-spoiler stuff first, and then we can delve into some spoiler territory, and we won't deal with anything else beyond spoiler territory other than any last kind of end thoughts on the year, so that if you don't want to be spoiled, if you haven't seen the film yet, you can just pause there, come back, and listen again later. So, Mark, why don't you kick us off? The non-spoiler thoughts on Rogue One. And I guess also tells, you know, how did you see it in theaters, like I know you, you yeah. mentioned a little bit, but how did you see it specifically? How many times have you seen it? That kind of thing to give us some context, please. All right. Well, thus far, I've seen it three times. Uh, going into it, though, I was not expecting to get to watch it until Sunday, which was for me odd. I mean, I've been working at the theater now for over a year 
And I was looking forward to, oh my God, I'm going to get to watch Star Wars before everybody else. And I've been under that impression all this time. And then literally the week before I go in, oh, actually, no, it's the night before we would normally be previewing the movie. And when I come in, they're like, yeah, it's going to suck that only one person gets to watch the movie. I thought they were totally punking me, giving me a ribbing, you know, the, the, the classic high school jiving somebody, you know, ribbing the new guy kind of thing. And no, no, my theater played two copies, 3D and 2D, and one employee got to watch it in 3D, and one employee got to watch it in 2D, and I was not either one of those employees. Uh, This is me raising my hand and asking a question. Why? (laughs) You would think it'd be either nobody, or you might as well let everybody. What was the point of two people? Was it just to say, yeah, guys, it worked? I don't even know. I, I and, and apparently with The Force Awakens, none of them were able to watch it early. So this was this was their step up, which was interesting because, you know, I, I podcast uh, Marvel cast Earth's Mightiest podcast with David Senden, and he works for a different theater chain and him and his crew, they were all able to watch it. So it's like, I, it's weird that from theater to theater, there were differences in, in how you could and watch them. And that, and another change too was the theater where I work at for the first time. Uh, I have a friend that they rent out the theater because she's got two sons that have a birthday like two days apart and she rents a theater and they do a big theater experience and they didn't do it this year. And when I was talking to the comic store, same thing. They didn't do it. Well, it turns out Disney told the theater that they have to sell every single seat or they can't rent out the theater to a party group. And wow. so that was a policy change that came from Disney that, that was forced on the theater. I was like, wow. so a lot of those things came from the Disney end of things, which was interesting. But I, I'm not too privy as to how that all works. So, so that was odd. So, so at that point, you know, we're looking at the day before. It was Wednesday night, Thursday morning, technically. And I was really freaking bitter at that point because, you know, I honestly, I thought they were ribbing me. I thought I was just being punked. I thought I would come in and we get to watch it. And then I realized, because I, the night before I, I worked later. So the next night I'd be able to watch the whole film. So once I found out, no, I'm not going to get it. I just, I just turned and burned. I was like, well, there's no point in me even staying here. I'm done cleaning the theater. I, I mean, I was done within like almost 40 minutes because I'd done so much the, the night before. So I went home. I was really irritated. I had all that fundraising stuff to do. So I'm like, I'm not going to get to see this movie until Sunday. And, you know, I was, everybody's getting to go and see it. Riley and Bethany got, got advanced screening, which I was kind of like, wait, I, I, I'm a co-host. Me and Riley do the co-host. And Bethany and Riley get the, where's my invite? Come on. Like, am I not a host of that show or something? But so, so they got to see it. So I was getting more and better as it went. And I'm like, it's going to be Sunday before I see it. Everybody's going to be talking about it. Urgh. So I'm down at my fundraiser thing and we actually, they, they close it up early. And so I'm kind of like, I'm still in that funk. Like, all right, I'm going to go home. I send my wife a message. She's over at my niece's uh, Christmas performance and I'm not going to be able to make it to that because it's already started and i got to put away stuff. My wife's like, why don't you just go down and go watch Rogue One? You still have time. Take Gavin. Go and do it. I'm like, I'm in a bad mood. I want to go watch Rogue One. <laughs> she's like, no, you know, go and treat yourself. Go take him. Go do it. You know, just just do it for me. Just go and do it for me. So I, all right, look at the clock. We got 15 minutes. I'm like, all right, dude, let's turn and burn. We got to go. We'll go and do this. So we went and did it. And, you know, I put my reaction, my immediate reaction trailer, trailer, my immediate reaction live stream video from Facebook. I, I did drop a few F-bombs and S-bombs and stuff. I was super excited. But, yeah, I came out of that movie and it was, for me, the best Star Wars experience and movie ever. Now, I'm very wow. curious as to what a virgin Star Wars fan who is only seeing Rogue One and no other Star Wars film for the first time, what they may feel. Oh, that's what you meant by a virgin Star Wars fan. I thought you meant something different. 
but but that's where I'm like I'm like for me what played so well about this was everything I love about the expanded universe the fact that it touched on so many other aspects of the Star Wars story and at the same time gave me in a sense a retcon of things that I thought I knew uh, and and that it delivered and it delivered on it so well I mean I literally was smiling from start to finish with this movie. Now, The Force Awakens, I was smiling, but there were also moments where I, I had dread and, and you know, the worry, my, my face would do that frowny thing, the, oh, God, no. But I didn't have that this. For the first time in my movie-going experience, I felt like I was being catered to. And as an EU fan, it's been a long time since I felt that way. Not since the New Jedi Order had the wants that I've wanted to see in books and stuff come to reality. And same thing with TV shows. So to be catered to again was really interesting. And it was like, oh my God, like so many things were being catered to. And I'll, I'll keep most of that for the spoiler stuff. But I was just taken off list of things that I had been begging to see in a film or this film. And I was like, oh, it happened. Oh, it happened. Oh, it happened. And... There were so many prevalent themes, themes of trust, themes of hope, sacrifice, uh, that, that they just, they played them to their fullest. And then you've got Michael Giacchino, or, or I'm, I'm, I know I'm saying his name wrong and I apologize for that, but his score, oh my God, like that was great. Like it had the great Star Wars feel and everything, but it brought a new brassiness or, or a, a string-like feeling to it, like the Saw Gerrera scenes and stuff. There was this really cool like broken chord sound going on in the background when he was doing his stuff. Uh, and then I think about the fact that I don't recall seeing very many Gareth Edwards films, but all the way through this film, I kept giving props to Gareth Edwards for the angles he chose, for the scenes he chose. I mean, the opening scene where we see a shuttle flying past some, some planetary rings, or we see a planet sitting in some fog and clouds and stuff. We see a shuttle landing and we're looking through a keyhole of a rock. I mean, just these great moments of cinematography. I was just so floored all the way around throughout this film. And I think that was the thing that really blew me away was I came away with just ear to ear the proverbial Sith eating grin. And, and that was, I think, the coolest part. And again, I saw it with my son who he enjoyed it. Though I don't think he realized where quite it set up and lined up with things. So the way the ending ended for him wasn't as happy an ending for him as it was for me. Whereas, again, I felt like that fan service that I've been hoping for had been justified. And I felt, you know, relieved and thrilled about it. He felt a big letdown. You know, like I think he was hoping for some continued adventures or Rogue Two. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. Uh, my wife and I got tickets. Basically, as soon as we could, as soon as the tickets went on sale for our local theater, uh, we didn't have to deal with all the Fandango thing crashing and all that kind of stuff because our local theater chain, Cinemark, apparently doesn't sell tickets through Fandango anymore. So we just went through their website, picked up the tickets, got them ready to go. My wife actually worked until 7.30 that night. So uh, obviously, it's supposed to come out on Friday, but they keep pushing back the midnight showing so they're no longer midnight showings anymore. Uh, so the first showing was like around 7 or so if you wanted to watch it in 2D. We went to a 10:15 screening that was in uh, Cinemark's 3D XD. It's real D 3D and then XD. XD is sort of their way of saying like almost IMAX as far as size goes, but not using the IMAX name because then they would get sued. So we got a chance to see it in a real good 3D presentation. This is a theater with those nice seats. So you get to sit back, 
You got the cup holders, the seats recline, and even with the seats doing the automatic reclining, there's still enough room in front of your feet for someone to walk back and forth to get back and forth to like the restroom or something without everybody having to pull their feet in and tuck in and all. Great experience, barring the fact that, you know, we got there uh, and we went inside with our prepaid tickets and they and they got us set up and they're like, well, here you go. Okay, and here's your two little Cinemark special posters. And we moved right along until we realized the hell they didn't give us our 3d glasses so i go back up there the lady gives us the 3d glasses i get halfway back and go what the hell they gave us kids ones and had to go back again to get the 3d glasses <laughs> oh. uh, needless to say this is the one time we didn't give them back and um, we're like ah, screw it uh, saves them right you know being very petty were they were they the cool star wars oh ones no or the no they're just yeah. they're just regular old real th- real d 3d glasses they must now, only can... do those at like imax or something because i have not seen those at all and we didn't even have any of the couplets we only had popcorn buckets well, my wife when she went to see the force awakens in 3d later uh with, with her and her dad wherever they went they had them because she still has a closed up uh kylo ren pair of glasses i have nice. no idea where it came from though so yeah, so we went to see it. Um, it was not a packed house, but those who were there were, for the most part, uh, diehard fans. I had my Darth Maul Celebration 1 jacket on. I had my Rogue One hat that just barely came in on time, uh, or in time, from Disney Movie Rewards. So I had that with me. Uh, I had a little bit of knowledge going into it because I couldn't resist when, the day before it was supposed to arrive, the visual guide arrived at my door from Amazon. So I had a chance to see a few things, and I was like, nope, nope, can't read anymore. Went to see the film, and uh, my wife and I both thought it was terrific. Uh, we, I, I think we're, we're different in terms of where we would put it necessarily within the Star Wars films. For me, it's sort of jockeying for first place or second place back and forth with The Force Awakens, because I love the hopefulness and just the sheer joy you get out of the performances in The Force Awakens from Daisy Ridley, John Boyega. I mean, there's just that energy that's there. And it's, of course, continuing on with the saga. Whereas this one, the tone is so vastly different. I almost think that when we're rating, what's your favorite Star Wars film? There needs to be like the joyful list and the dark (laughs) list, right? Because we're getting to the point where eventually there's going to be so many films, it's difficult to rank them because you're doing it with so many caveats of, yeah, but it's because it was so dark. But, you know, this is so different. It's hard to, you know... Um, it's hard to actually rank those things, but oh, that makes sense. It was it was a fantastic film. Uh, really enjoyed a lot of the new characters, though. It did seem as though some of them got way more time than the others. Like uh, Cassian and Jin, even K two S O wound up getting more depth. Uh, I really expected that Chirrut and Baze would have more to do and more development. Baze got almost none, which I thought was kind of a surprise. Um, I was shocked by a certain CG reincarnated character managing to be on screen as much as he was, which was kind of a a big deal. We can talk about that in the spoiler section. I do agree, and I think you put this very well. I I hadn't thought about it that way until I saw your post on Facebook that said it. Uh, As as you just said, that it's kind of like sort of catering to an EU type of audience, a Legends type of audience, because it does fill in the big major plot hole that people always gripe about within A New Hope. Uh, regarding the Death Star plans and what they find and how they take yep. it out and all that kind of stuff. I backflipped, man. It introduces all new characters, but has all these supporting characters that are characters we knew from the films otherwise who are showing up in it, very much like, say, the, the Rogue Squadron books did. And it has that same sense of we're going to get a darker story, a more military story, a more down-to-earth story, but it's still true to the universe. It is still going to have the humor. I would say that in a lot of ways, anyone who enjoyed the Rogue Squadron and Wraith Squadron books 
this movie is absolutely for them. Yeah. Because there's so much about it that, that mirrors that style. I was very impressed by all of that. Although, may I say, though, that I feel like this is a film that to some degree, not as much as Revenge of the Sith, but to some degree, I had a Stover effect for, or we might call it a Lucino effect this time. I felt like I understood more of Jin and in particular Galen uh, Urso mm-hmm. because of seeing the characters in Catalyst. Uh, I had more of their background and kind of knew more about Galen's personality. So certain things that he says in a certain message within the film really made sense of why he'd be saying what he's saying and how he's saying it because we know that personality. Like I think the guy is meant to be somewhere on the autism spectrum, yeah. and it, which, which defines a lot of the things that he says and does and the way that he acts. And it really helped enhance that experience. Again, not as much as Revenge of the Sith with the Stover novelization with that film, but I felt like this was a stronger film in general, which didn't need as much. But what it got from Catalyst did help. Um, being able to understand the friendship that is hinted at a few times between Krennic and Galen. Yeah. Being able to say, this makes sense. This makes sense for them to be having this type of relationship when he's supposed to be the big bad guy. Uh, that definitely informed my viewing. Though there's one place that you and I differ substantially. Um, I thought the soundtrack, the score, was completely and utterly unremarkable. Mm-hmm. I thought that th- this is a guy who did the great score that I really enjoyed for the new Star Trek film. Mm-hmm. And granted, he only had like a month to do it because the other guy dropped out. But when I think of Star Wars scores, I think of returning themes over and over again used in different ways, whether it's the uh, Imperial March, the Emperor's theme, uh, the Emperor's theme turning into the Naboo celebration music, all the different ways that Ray's theme and Kylo Ren's theme are woven throughout different musical pieces at different points of The Force Awakens, being able to sort of take a motif and run with it. I didn't feel like that was the case here. And there were several instances when uh, the music sounded like some of the most triumphant music in it sounds so much like certain pieces out of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera that my brain would continue the music in my head, <laughs> not with the Star Wars version, but with where the next lines would go in the Phantom of the Opera. It just was not a... I mean, I've got the score. I've got the soundtrack. It, this, it just the music didn't really do a whole lot for me. There are certain musical cues I liked, but I'm hearing people saying like, "This is the best Star Wars score ever." I'm like, "How?" I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I, I think anytime you're not John Williams and you're scoring a Star Wars anything, I think, I think that's a high bar. I mean, I mean, really, John Williams is Star Wars music as George Lucas is the vision of Star Wars. You know, it's like you can't get around. That and I think like you know Kiner got a lot of flack for when he basically a lot of people said he ripped off John Williams, but I think that that's that's the hard transition. It's either you're too much like John Williams or you're not enough like John Williams. It's it's hard to to have your own individual sound as a composer and yet stay true to the themes that John Williams put out there without mimicking John Williams too much. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think I think in the end of the day, when it comes to that, you're you're gonna have that spectrum. Like you're gonna have people like me that enjoyed it, people like you that were like, eh, not so much, and some people that just absolutely hate it. You know, they're like, Oh, this isn't what I wanted, this isn't John Williams. Because John Williams is the man. Yeah. Whatever that song said. <laughs> All right, so I guess uh, I'm good for non-spoiler if you're ready to move into the spoiler territory. Do you have any more non-spoilery stuff? Yeah, one more thing. Well, you mentioned, you know, your wife uh, and you guys watching it. Well, when me and my wife watched it, I, I'm still on that boat of I think this is the best Star Wars film ever. Granted, I said it, it, it had that EU effect for me. My wife, though, 
my wife still puts Revenge of the Sith as her top movie. Uh, my wife is very a very unique Star Wars fan in the aspect of she loves Anakin because he's a dark character. She loves Jason Solo because he is a dark character. Yes, the EU Jason Solo. Yet she hates Luke Skywalker because she finds him, quote, a pussy, unquote. And <laughs> she, lo- she loves Mara Jade, but hates Luke Skywalker. And so I have like, like, I have a hard time. Anytime Luke's involved, she just does not care. And so when she was telling me that, I'm like, wait, why, why Revenge of the Sith? Like, you know, there are parts about Revenge of the Sith that I love and stuff. And, and because Legends is no longer considered part of canon at all, I have a hard time putting Revenge of the Sith as high as I used to. But yeah, that was for her. That was it. That dark fall for Anakin still was a better film for her than this one. And she, like my son, both had issue with the fact that, that for the most part, the ending was a darker ending than Empire Strikes Back, which for me, I felt like that was another bonus. Like, it took the ending of Return of the Jedi, the climatic space battle, and the down ending of Han Solo being trapped in Carbonite, and the rebels on the run, and the, and the, the leadership has been shattered of Empire Strikes Back, and combines them both. And for me, that was just a win, knock it out of the park. But yeah, I was kind of, I just blown away when she was like, no, no, Revenge of the Sith is still my favorite. I'm like, wow, okay. Right on, baby. I, I can't tell her she's wrong, because she's right. Like, you know, everyone's got their own opinion of what they feel is, is good and bad, or happy and sad and it's just interesting though when people mention what it is you're like and why is that it, sometimes you just you can't help but laugh and then i laughed in a good way i thought it was a classic one well uh for those of you i'm assuming that michael will censor that word i think just in case michael censored it basically she thinks that luke skywalker is the kind of thing that trump would like to grab and that it's okay because he's wealthy or the things that keep fighting in my yeah. background that for once this time didn't get in here and start fighting, but that's a different type. I was honestly surprised we haven't heard from them so far. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think, you know, I, I think the tiny one is asleep, which is basically keeping her from attacking the other ones. Uh, amazing. <laughs> Truly amazing. So I guess that brings us into spoiler territory, and I think that I can jump off of what you were just getting into with the dark ending. Um, so if you are trying to listen to this spoiler-free for Rogue One, Stop listening now. Hopefully come back and listen to it later. We're going to need a spoiler territory and then kind of wrap up any last thoughts on the year here. So to pick up where you were saying there about the down ending, I actually find it interesting because I feel as though the end of this film, while being dark, isn't nearly as dark as the end of Revenge of the Sith or the end of The Empire Strikes Back. Because The Empire Strikes Back gives us the, you know, I am your father thing. Han is taken away in Carbonite. They're in a really bad spot uh, for the Rebels in that case. In Revenge of the Sith, everything's gone all to hell. The Empire has risen. Vader is now Vader. And the only sparks of hope are the fact that, you know, the kids are being taken into safety. In this case, though, it's it's a, a sort of tragedy that is triumphant at the same time because it's that noble sacrifice angle. Uh, yes, they're all dead. In fact, although I find it funny, my wife didn't realize that Cassian and Jin were killed because she turned her head away at just the right moment to not notice that that wave <laughs> of stuff actually washed over them. But yes, they're dead, but it was all in service to that sort of broader cause. They gave their lives for something they believed in. They were, in many cases, accepting of it as it happened. In fact, I would say the vast majority of them were, in fact, maybe even all of them. I mean, K2SO, when he's taken down, he's doing it as a choice. To get taken down. When Chirrut goes out there and winds up getting killed, 
Maybe he doesn't realize he's about to be, but he goes out there by a choice and seems somewhat serene about it. Uh, when Baze gets blown up, he doesn't try to run. He sees the explosive and kind of has that look on his face like, now I'm going to join my brother in the force or whatever. So he seems okay with it. And then Jin and Cassian, they've completed their mission. They're hugging. and It seems like there's like this moment of acceptance for them. So it doesn't feel like it's a really tragic ending. In fact, I would say, and gosh, I forget who said this. Somebody on the one of my various Facebook pages said it, that in a lot of ways, while Rogue One is a, a dark film, it's got enough references to hope, and it's got enough of hopeful things happening in it, and the noble sacrifice and triumph against great odds, uh, and the unifying feeling of that, that in essence, what we've got is a really good tonal transition between the prequels and the original trilogy. The original trilogy being something more hopeful, whereas the prequels much more of the tragedy and the darker angle of it. And in this case, it's taking the one and sort of bringing it into another, especially as you get to the very end in the last couple of minutes of the film. So, um, to me, while it's a darker film in general, I don't feel like it's the down-ending than in a lot of cases it's being made out to be. It's certainly not a down ending in to the extent of Revenge of the Sith or The Empire Strikes Back, at least to me. But yeah. I wonder I wonder if, if that's going too much into it, if, we're, if that's too much for a year-in-review episode, or if that's something we really need to hold from a bigger discussion standpoint to next episode. I don't, I don't know where the line is drawn. I, I don't either, because there's a lot of things on this that are interesting to explore. Like, on my second viewing, I'd already seen it twice, and then I saw a post about Chirrut and Baze and them possibly being the, quote, gay characters that Star Wars needs, unquote. And when I saw the post, I reacted like, you know, yeah, you reach in, you know, we don't need to be pushing agendas into this, that kind of thing. That was kind of where I was going. And then I watched it for the third time with my wife. And I thought, you know, going through that, I really liked Baze's character. Like, he was probably one of my favorite characters, even though he had probably the least amount of screen time. Uh, but so I was watching it the third time and I was watching it with the intent of what if they were? And so I watched the film all the way through pretending that they actually had a relationship. And I honestly found while I was doing this little experiment that I found the reactions and the interactions between the two of them took on more meaning and their deaths especially became more poignant. I mean, when Baze goes out after watching, I mean, he was screaming at Chirrut to come back and thinking about that in an emotional aspect, I mean, or, or even a family one, even though they're, they're clearly not related, but to have something like that, that a loving bond, you know, more than just brothers in arms. And it made when Baze, after Chirrut got blew up and Baze continued on and avenged, you know, what at that time I was taking as his lover's death. And he looked over and he knew he was about to be blown up and he looks back over at Chirrut one more time. And he looked like he was accepting with what was going to happen. So, I mean, I, I, I was, I was playing with that in my mind. And I honestly, like, I mean, I've put it out there a second time going, you know, while thinking of it that way, I found it worked. And then a lot of people were like, we don't need to go there. And I agree. We don't have to go there, but I appreciated the fact that if that was the intention, they kept it so subtle and so left out that we could decide for ourselves which way we want to go. You know, you could choose to say, yeah, they had a relationship, or you could say, no, they didn't. And it works either way. But when I was going through it, and I had openly decided, okay, I'm going to pretend that they did, I actually found that it gave me a new appreciation for the two as a character in that regard, which was interesting in and of itself. We're going to find out that really the the walking stick originally belonged to Baze, but... 
when he was gonna when uh, Cheer was gonna give it back, he's like, "No, keep it. It suits you." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I that was a new one when I saw that actually as a, a post today. I don't think. I find it interesting, again, this is a film where they didn't really play up a lot of the characters from a sexual standpoint. They didn't play up a lot of the characters from a relationship standpoint. It was all about the mission and what they do. It's more about duty yep. uh, than to some degree about interpersonal relationships, good, bad, and otherwise. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just it wasn't something that needed to be in the film. Just like, you know, I think there were people expecting us to see by the end a full-blown, you know, love between Cassian and Jin. And while they certainly have more of a fondness for each other... I was very glad that their last moments weren't like kissing mm-hmm. all slabbery on the beach before they're dead or something. There were a couple moments too like that where they got really close to kissing. You're like, don't do it. Exactly. Where it's, where it's, it's treated in a way that just sort of respects the characters and lets you read the subtext rather than it being completely in your face. So yeah, I, I don't want to go too much into spoiler territory. I mean, I know we're in the spoiler section, but we're going to be doing that in our next episode. So uh, I guess I would say I love the way that it sets up A New Hope. I love the idea that, along with Catalyst helping give us a streamlined, this is how the Death Star pl- uh, was developed type of, of process, uh, in essence, what couldn't have happened back with the Legends continuity because everybody kept seeming to want to tell the story of how do they get the Death Star plans and how is the Death Star developed. So you have all these many, many different backgrounds and many different missions all kind of having to mish together and get a whole bunch of, uh, of retcons to make it all fit, that we have a very straightforward story. This is how the plans were gotten. Thanks to Catalyst, this is how the development took place, and this is specifically why there is a flaw in the Death Star. It is not a plot hole. It was a plot by someone trying to strike out against the Empire, and that, that in and of itself to me was very, was a very important thing, and to have it be a personal you know, father-daughter type of thing that this is, you know, in essence trying to do right and he's re- still reaching out to his daughter, hoping that when sending the information out to the rebels, he's still building in the message, you know, to her mm-hmm. in hopes that she's the one who's able to get it. That we have these characters that are that are more flawed. I thought that was fantastic that we have characters, you know, I love the idea. I'm, I'm a sucker for any stories about like noble sacrifice, honor, duty, and the idea of some of the bad things that good men have to do in service to a greater cause and where the line is drawn. Yeah. And we see that repeatedly with Cassian and to a degree we also see it with Saw yeah which is also a link to help tie us into the Clone Wars era as we're also seeing ties happening uh we can say it I guess now since we're in the spoiler section Saw Gerrera is going to show up when we come back to Rebels in January yep Saw and a mission to Geonosis they talk in the visual guide that part of why they moved the Death Star when they did initially is because well Saw's group was getting too close I expected that to just be part of backstory that was just in the guide. No, it looks like that's going to show up in Rebels. So there's so many things that this movie did well that, again, I, it's not a perfect film. Not enough of the side characters of the, what you might call a secondary set of ensemble characters, got enough chances for development. Uh, Bodhi, Bays in particular. And there are certain aspects that had me shaking my head, like... Does do we did we need a freaking tentacle brain sucker monster thing? Oh yeah, it no. Will, it will make it will make you go crazy. Yeah. Oh really? Then why is Bodhi okay five damn minutes later? Well, he wasn't really okay though. I mean, he, that all the way through he was kind of shaken up. Like even when he was doing his, you know, this is uh, transport. Like 
it was like his thought patterns were were jumbled. It's, I, just, I didn't read that at all as he's losing his mind as a result of anything. It just it seemed to me that he was the outsider in the group and was more intimidated. But see, I, I for me that all played into a, an overall theme of trust because in the flashback scene we hear Jin's mom. She says two words: trust and Galen. And that seemed to be something that, that resonated with Jin. And when Jin sees those plans, you know, there's that big aspect of for Saw about, do I trust her? You know, you, you this has to be a trap. I just got this pilot and now you show up. Mm-hmm. And he's like, are you here to kill me? And then she is the only one that sees that message. And the rebellion, they have to trust her. You know, is this a daughter that's just trying to save her dad from having a bad name? Or is is she really being legitimate? So there was that angle of, do we trust her and her hope that she's trusting her father and is doing the right thing to redeem himself? Like, I thought that was just so cool how trust kept coming up over and over again. Like, when when Andor is talking to her about the gun and she's like, well, trust works both ways. Like there was just so much of that that was just in my face the whole way through it. I love the way they played up that angle. Yeah, a lot of focus on that. There's also, I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how this echoes forward. The idea of that theme of hope, the fact that this wasn't her, there's a lot of people when they're watching the trailers saying, oh, Really, she's just a smart ass, smart ass kid. You know, rebellions are built on hope, and I rebel, and all that kind of stuff. Oh, whatever. She's just this idealist who's supposed to be this. You know, she was a criminal, so why is she the one who's having to lecture them about hope? And to a degree, there is a point where yes, she does wind up having to basically be the one to make the case for hope and for action. But it wasn't nearly as overplayed on her. As the trailers, as people were kind of gleaning for the trailers, because a lot of, I mean, even even the Rebellions Are Built on Hope thing was an echo of something that she got from Cassian earlier. So yeah, I thought it was fairly well put together. I think the ending of the film does a great job of leading us directly into A New Hope, and we'll talk about it in more depth when we get to this, the the spoiler part of our episode specific on specifically on Rogue One next. But I think the last thing that I would say about it is, holy crap! The things they can do with CGI now, they can (laughs) even bring Peter Cushing back from the dead, in essence, and they can give us a new hope, Leia, and they can bring back X-Wing pilots. Yeah. And and those who don't realize those weren't the actual actors are totally convinced by it. I am blown away by that, and I'm sure we'll get into more depth with that as we get into a... Uh, our Rogue One episode. Yeah, my wife with Tarkin was like, "What's what? What's with his face?" And I leaned over. I'm like, "The actor's dead. They've that's not him. They're putting his face on another actor." She's like, "Oh wow!" And when we got to the reveal of Leia, that's that's all she said. Oh wow! And I look over and like she just jaw hanging. I was like, "Wow!" Like that was I really got a kick out of her reaction to that. I was like, "Awesome!" I think my I think for me the big fist bump uh, fist pound wasn't even either of those. It was the you know Rad Leader, and I'm like. <laughs> but that's a whole different thing. All right, so to round us out here, this is rounding out our TV slash film episode, but also rounding out our year in review. So I guess final thoughts about the year, I gotta say it was a mixed bag. I feel like home video, TV, and film were very strong this year. Some missteps with the whole double dipping of The Force Awakens, but very strong. I think the books, pretty strong. Not amazing, but pretty strong. Comics, we already talked about how that was kind of one of the letdowns, the the quality giving way to quantity type of thing. And game-wise, we had some solid tabletop stuff with some missteps like Destiny. 
uh, and its business model. And then, of course, we had uh, video games with some solid entries, but of course, still not quite um, what we're looking for. So, I don't know, 2016, the real, you might say, 40th anniversary of Star Wars, because remember, the A New Hope novelization came out in 1976, not 77. Mm -hmm. It's very much a mixed year for me. If I had to give it a grade, if I had to lump it all together and give it a grade, I guess this year gets a B. Mm -hmm. Even though certain aspects of it certainly are A pluses, there were some that were just barely, you know, kind of scraping by to pass by the skin of their teeth. Yeah, no, B is about where I would put it. You know, I mean, I, I feel like the films are definitely, as always, one of the stronger elements of Star Wars. Uh, you know, like I said, with Rogue One, I feel like Rogue One, it did what the expanded universe was known for doing, you know, that that galaxy building by drawing in elements that are part of the galaxy and, and focusing on, hey, yes, th- this counts. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I think about all the Rebels nods or Easter eggs in that film. And I was just, you know, doing little backflips in my seats. The one thing we really haven't touched on in our year in review is the toys. And, I, you know, there's just so many. But I think even there, like, it's been a strong year. I mean, I think we've had a good a good run of what we've got in the realm of toys, just like with the books and the comics. I mean, comics, I think it's the hard one because the quality, like you said, it's lacking. We did have a lot of quantity and sometimes the art was great. Sometimes the stories were great, but it wasn't consistently across the board, really knocking it out of the park. And I think that in the realm of comics, when you have that many comics, it leads you to the feeling of it was a fail. I mean, I I go back and forth on that because like I'm on one hand, I'm excited. You know, we got a lot of star Wars comics, but, there's so much that it comes down to, well, which ones do you pick and which ones do you choose to get? And then it comes down to, well, which ones are the real good quality stories? So that definitely lowered the grading all the way around. Because I definitely feel like the books had a strong year. The films had a very strong year. Uh, TV shows, Rebels came out strong, started strong. The last few episodes, I feel like they're building towards something. So, you know, it's that sense of a letdown. But I, I'm staying hopeful, faithful that... It's going to deliver on something that we're building towards something. So, but again, that's that's not going to happen this year. So, you know, it, it falls in that realm of the B. You know, it wasn't quite an A, but it was pretty dang close. I mean, you know, I think Star Wars is still in the right direction. Uh, you know, they've they've got their head in the game. They've got a game plan, even though they're not sharing it. We're just watching it slowly unfold. And so far, I'm enjoying this ride more so than I thought I would. I know. You know, coming last year when I was watching episode seven, all I wanted to see next year was episode eight. And I was a little trepidatious about watching Rogue One. I got more excited as it got closer. But now that it's over and the fact that I'm as floored with it as I was, it gives me hope for the Han Solo movie. Because right now, honestly, the Han Solo movie is probably the one movie I'm the least excited for. I, I'm I'm still not sure I want to know a different background for Han, you know, whereas the Rogue One crew, it was basically it was uh, Kyle and Jan's story being retold with a whole new group of people so I could kind of accept that for what it was uh, but I was I was pleasantly happy all the way around with that um, so I've got hope, you know that there is more than just a new hope for Star Wars, there's a new hope for my fandom Alright, so next time folks our Rogue One coverage begins and that will of course be followed up by our coverage of Catalyst. Once we can talk a little bit about the film, that'll probably inform us well when it comes to talking about Catalyst and how it fits in. Speaking of Catalyst, congratulations to Sandro George, who was the winner of our Catalyst novel giveaway. 
And uh, I guess I would say that if there's anything that I could put out there as a teaser for our discussion on Rogue One, uh, it's a question that I'm going to pose in the episode to Mark that I think I have an answer to. But I think the question itself is really going to piss some people off. Uh-oh. Which is kind of why I think it's funny to toss it out as a teaser. And, <laughs> and that is a very straightforward question. Why is it that people other than George Lucas, especially post-acquisition by Disney, why is it that other people can make better Star Wars films than Lucas himself can? I think I've got an answer to that question, and I think it's an answer that Lucas himself gave us uh, a few years ago or a couple of years ago, and uh, that'll be something to explore in our Rogue One episode next time. Ooh. Oh, that's already got my brain racking. Exciting things ahead, folks. Exciting things ahead. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. Please go tell everybody on iTunes why they should listen to us. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways. No, it is the best way to interact with us. It is literally our own home one. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans, so if you have any questions about Star Wars and or Legends, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention you our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars expanded universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months. That's one year with no questions asked. So, in this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the force of others be with you. And don't quote us the odds, which are high, very high, that someone will be annoyed by that question asked. Uh, But I'll tell you what, I'll give you a hint. A hint to the answer about why other people could make better Star Wars films than Lucas. The hint is found in something relating to that great scourge of the media galaxy, Oprah. What are the odds of Oprah being tied to Star Wars? Oh my god, my brain just exploded! And it smells like cotton candy. Wasn't it Oprah that was questioning Bodhi? (laughs) (laughs) I keyed, I keyed! (laughs) 